This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Are you listening? Damn. And welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, joined as always by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado, who is with me here on this Tuesday, December 13th at 5 p.m. We're live on YouTube. and You can find us anywhere on your favorite podcast app. Angie, thanks for joining me as we have all sorts of stuff to recap from the last week of news in Corvallis a new contract for head coach Jonathan Smith, all sorts of performance awards at the conference and national level. Of course, uh, personnel-wise, the month of December is always busy with NFL draft announcements, the transfer portal, the early signing period. We're going to talk about all of that and much more and hopefully get to some damn questions at the end if we have time. Angie, unfortunately, we, um, we are the not necessarily the bearers of the news, but um, we are going to discuss a little bit here at the beginning of the show some of the more uh, somber news of the day as uh, Mississippi State head coach and former Washington State head coach Mike Leach has passed away at the age of 61 um, from complications related to a heart condition. Angie, obviously just terrible news that that we both woke up to this morning uh, from Mississippi with with regards to a coach that we have all sorts of respect for that we have enjoyed our time covering from his time in the Pac-12. And um, obviously, you know, anytime Mike Leach sh- shows up in the news, it's it's worth watching and, and listening to. Um, so Angie, I, let's, let's start this podcast by getting your thoughts on the legacy that Coach Mike Leach leaves behind. Yeah, I mean, first, I just, not that anyone's watching, but my heart goes out and my thoughts go out to his family. His and then I think what we're all forgetting too is his players, his current his current team, uh, former team. Um, I saw a very poignant um, Instagram post today from Helinski's Hope, talking about um, just how close he was with Tyler. And um, it, I mean, it was it was a must read. It was it was very poignant how they are up talking football, Tyler and and uh, Coach Leach now up in heaven. So um, he is a gem. Talk about someone who, like you said, I could listen to him ramble for an hour. I mean, um, and had such interesting takes on things and he could turn, get you on the edge of your seat talking anything from candy corn and spree candy to, um, the, you know, the merits of marriage and, uh, how to maneuver an engagement. Yeah. Just a complete gem. And then just hearing the stories that are coming out about what a kind and, and great person he was. So, um, I, I was, I've been spending some time over at the, um, our sister site, Jean's pages, the Mississippi state 24 seven site. And Steve Robertson, one of their writers has, has covered now coach, coach Leach for a couple of years and became friends with him through that. I mean, Carter, I mean, think about it. you, you spend a lot of time covering these guys and you do become friends, but he, he recapped one, one evening they were sitting there, um, and they heard noise out in the practice field and, and he, they look out and there's a group of students playing on the practice field and, Steve looks at him and says, aren't you going to do anything? And because he goes, Dan Mullins, the previous coach would have like gone bonkers, got those kids off. And he goes, why? 
they're breaking in the field for me and they're having fun. They'll remember this night for the rest of their lives. And just, just that kind of person. So uh, my thoughts go out to them and to the family and, and everyone touched, but he touched a lot of lives and bigger than life. Absolutely. Mike Leach, always a class act. Uh, during his time at Washington State, and of course, Oregon State fans uh, grew to to dislike what his teams did to the Beavers. Um, but it was always fun watching him on the sidelines and you know perusing his <laughs> his media availabilities and and listening to some of the gems that that came from some of those. Um, Mike Leach, an innovator on the field, and just a, a true great, unique personality off of it as well, and and one that we will dearly miss. And I think the sport of college football and, and really the, the sporting world uh, will miss because there never was and probably never will be another Mike Leach out there. Yeah. I mean, just like I said, the intelligence to, you know, be have a law degree, but then all the extra stuff he studied. I mean, he'd start talking Bigfoot and then Geronimo and then the pirate swinging the sword. And um, yeah, just a, like you said, a very unique individual, but um, one that, has touched not just college football has touched, I think, yeah, like you said, the entire sporting world and um, definitely one that will be, which my kids even would anytime they'd hear Mike Leach's voice, if I was watching one of his sound clips, they'd come running. Cause like, what is he going to say now? So um touched even young sports fans. I'm just, Angie, you know what, I, yeah. what I'm kicking myself about. I didn't know he had a cameo account. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I should have done a cameo. That would have been pure, pure gold. Angie, I remember the the two of us were driving back from, I want to say it was a fall camp practice uh, this summer in in August, um, and I I downloaded or you know YouTubed a, a a highlight reel of some of Mike Leach's greatest press conference moments, and we listened to that for about fifteen minutes on our way back from Corvallis. Because uh, he's out of the Pac-12 three years, Carter, and we were still talking about how we missed Mike Leach. Yeah, yeah, and we will we will obviously continue to miss him. You know, if, if you want to go back and, and look at some of those high, highlight reels, um, they're all over the place today. Some of his, his greatest hits. My favorite <laughs> probably still is the PAC 12 mascot battle. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, beaver. From, I don't know if they can hold They can hold their breath right. that long <laughs> from seeing how long the beaver can hold its breath to what kind of mystical powers the sun devil has. Um, that is probably the best two to three minutes of yeah. college football press conference you will and ever candy find. corn. I mean, you know, it's horrible and that's why it only has one holiday. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Um, Mike Leach, of course, changed the game of, of football with his air raid scheme uh, as an offensive coordinator at Kentucky. And then, you know, as a head coach at Texas tech and then Washington state, and then ultimately Mississippi state, uh, the way that his teams played offense Man, like I said, Oregon State fans terrorized by it. You know, that is an offense that revolutionized the game. And now you see elements of the air raid at essentially every level of football, whether that's high school, college, and even into the pros. Um, you know, Mike Leach's impact as an offensive mastermind and an innovator uh, is is felt across the entire sport. And, and Carter, how amazing is it that he never played football? You know, he went to BYU um, played rugby. I, I was reading today that he played rugby and, but loved football and would just go and talk football with Lavelle Edwards, the great uh, BYU coach. Lavelle let him hang around and just kind of soak up the knowledge. And, you know, here he is learning, you know, watching Steve Young or Jim McMahon. Um, and that's kind of where all this went. I mean, in his head, just kind of a, a savant when it came to the football offenses. An incredible coach and an incredible person for sure. Mike Leach will be missed his family and and everyone in that Mississippi state community, definitely in our thoughts today. Um, this is an Oregon state podcast, of course, and we have plenty of Oregon state related content to touch on here. This being the Tuesday of game week, actually Oregon state playing in the Las Vegas bowl on Saturday at Allegiant stadium against Florida. Beaverblitz.com has all sorts of preview content coming up. I just finished our first matchup preview of the week that will go live Wednesday morning on the site staff picks, the the whole nine yards behind enemy lines, all of the stuff that we normally run throughout game week will be live on the site throughout the week. And then Angie and I, actually the whole Machado gang and I will be um, in Las Vegas very late Wednesday night uh, into Thursday morning. And we'll be there to, to cover all of the action for a couple of days. Um, so be sure to stick with us because bull content is coming. I promise uh, we just we didn't have much availability and we didn't really know our schedule until early in the week. 
Um, but now that we have it all locked down, that stuff is coming. I can guarantee it. Um, so a lot of the news that we have to cover here is, is actually related to what has transpired over the last, I don't know, 10 days or so since we recorded our last podcast. Uh, it's been and a while. One of those, it, it has been a while. <laughs> uh, promise we are not going to go that long without recording another one. Um, I'm, we'll be back either to preview the, the game or to recap it um, within the next week. But on Sunday, now about, oh, I don't know, 48 hours um, previous to uh, to when we're recording this, the biggest news, I think, of the last week and a half was Jonathan Smith's new contract announcement. And and, and not only Jonathan Smith, but the additions to the assistant coaching um, salary pool, the support staff salary pool. Um, Angie, just here, I'll, I'll, I'll go through some of the um, some of the details and then I'll get your thoughts on it. We'll start with Jonathan Smith, who gets a new six year, thirty point six million dollar deal with an annual guarantee of four point eight five million dollars starting this spring. It's um, almost that- like our Beaver Blitz contract. Right, Carter? It's pretty close. (laughs) (laughs) It's right up there. Um, That number will increase by $100,000 every year up to a final annual annual salary of $5.35 million. That runs through February 28th, 2029. So Jonathan Smith locked up almost through the entire decade here at Oregon State. Huge. Oregon State went all in on, on Coach Smith. I mean, he is now in the top half of Pac-12 coaches' salaries. Um, Yeah, I I mean, and then I I do want to make a point because I've seen this all over social media. No state funds and no tuition increases are going, or tuition dollars are going to fund these. these, um, So I just want to make that clear because there were a lot of people out there worried that their taxes or their tuition was going to go up to pay for this. But um, huge commitment. just a great, um, and I, and I think it's earned. I, you know, and I was the first, like I said, we've had a couple things looking back at the hiring of Jonathan Smith five years ago. I do think, you know, Oregon state did it the way hire Jonathan Smith, a young inexperienced, no head coaching experience coach, bring him in kind of on the, on the lower end. And then he's earned, um, everything he's gotten now. But I, I know with, when you, if you were to ask Jonathan, assistant coaching pool is going to be in his, in his um, support staff. It's going to be very important because those guys aren't making millions and millions of dollars. Um, so to keep them happy because he's only as, as successful as those guys that he has around him. And the guys that he does have around him have been there for so long now yeah. um, that you've seen Jonathan Smith retain most of his staff. Um, a lot of those guys have been absolutely in- integral in building this program and, and developing the talent. And you see them rewarded with, um, a, a new assistant coaching salary pool that increases to 4.85 million as well. So matching Smith's contract. Um, and then the support staff pool, this includes, I, I assume, you know, your, your recruiting staff, um, you know, your uh, equipment guys and, and everybody else within that program uh, that will increase to two and a half million. And both of those will see annual increases of at least $100,000. So, um, as Smith continues to to see his salary bo- uh, boost up every year, so will his assistants. And I, I think that's a key thing to note as well. It is key. And, and, you know, that's honestly where we can talk about where Smith's success is coming from is that continuity continuity that he's had retaining coaches. And, um, you know, I was down in Corvallis on Friday when we spoke to Brian Lindgren and um, Coach Bray. And Coach Bray actually had has signed a new deal before that with a raise. Um, and some, somebody asked him about his next step being a head coach and Trent kind of laughed and he's like, I don't want to be a head coach at least right now. Um, you know, and they said, he goes, I'm not motivated by money. I'm making plenty. I'm quality of life and success is what drives me. And I'm getting both of that here. So I think there is a, a element to that, that, and I don't think other teams in the PAC 12 or around the country even kind of come close to realizing is how much these guys really do enjoy working at Oregon state, coaching at Oregon state, um, and then seeing that success that they've had over the past five years. Yeah. And speaking of that Trent Bray extension and raise, I I haven't crutched the numbers on this, but I do think that there is an element of the assistant coaching salary pool increasing um, to accommodate that. And so, you know, you, you see that number increase now, a lot of that is going to Trent Bray to keep him around. But uh, the key there is that the pool continues to increase 
year over year, which allows for Smith to hand out raises uh, where they're deserved. And and really every year for the last, what, three or four years, um, we have seen raises go out and, and those assist- assistants have made more and more money per year as they've continued to win more and more games. Um, but I, I don't think any of those contract extensions or raises on the assistant staff have been more important than the one that Trent Bray received this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what he has done in a year's time with the same personnel that Tim Tibisar had is nothing short of remarkable. I mean, you, and it still, it, it bothers me that he wasn't a finalist for the Broyles trophy. And we'll, we'll talk about that. He was a, he was a nominee, but um, looking at where that group was a year ago to where it is now is, is night and day different. Let's talk Angie about the commitment to success that I, I think this is kind of indicative of. Um, a, a financial commitment at Oregon State to winning football games that, you know, maybe five years ago, I, I think fans were calling into question. This is pre-Jonathan uh, Smith winning a bunch of games. This is pre-Research Stadium construction announcement. Um, you know, this is at a time where the football program is at an all-time low. And I think a lot of fans, and and you and I sat here as well, talking about, man, is, is Oregon State really committed to winning? And the only thing that we have seen from this athletic department over the last couple of years is sustained growth on the field, um, financial investments into the sports performance center, research stadium, the Valley football center Um, investments continued in, into the, the coaching staff to increase their salaries and, and, you know, extend their contracts. How much more confident are you today than you were maybe two, three, four years ago in Oregon state's commitment to winning football games? Oh, I, I, I think Scott Barnes now has finally you know, kind of jumped all in and realized that football is the the one key that drives the bus for the entire athletic department. Um, and he's, I mean, he has a coach now that he can get behind. The fans are behind, has taken them to almost a 10-win season. We're a game away from a 10-win season, only the third time ever if that happens on Saturday. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's good to see. I, it feels like the athletic department is in good footing now, especially even think Carter to the beginning of the year when all the uncertainty about the Pac-12 with USC and UCLA leaving the conference, there was talk that, oh, Washington State and Oregon State will be lucky to end up in the Mountain West if they dissolve. Oregon State's doing a lot to position itself as, as a school that's not in that bottom rung um, with coaching salaries, with winning games, with recruiting, with retention, retention of both coaches, but also players. Um, to see the lack of, or, and, and we'll see more guys go in the portal after the Vegas bowl. I'm sure they all want their, their swag bags and everything else. But um, I can't, I was, I was talking to someone today from another PAC 12 school 24 seven site and talking about the culture and how it's changed and how, and that's what this, he was saying. He was Oregon state doesn't have anybody in the portal. Um, you know, that these are the type of kids that now these other schools are going to want to look to poach because they have experience and they, and, they feel like they can poach guys, but um, Oregon State guys are staying. You know, they're staying put, and that is where I think Oregon State is going to start. You know, they direct those NIL dollars, and that's a whole other conversation. But um, it, it is remarkable at just how much they've really positioned themselves. But I think it's really important, again, with the timing of it all, Carter, um, with potential realignment and to make our, you know, you can't change how many people live in Corvallis or what the TV footprint is. You, you can't. Um, it is what it is, but you can change your commitment to salaries, to winning, um, and to all the other things that you actually can control. That's completely spot on. And, and actually a point that I made yesterday, um, as, as a guest on the locked on PAC 12 podcast, if, if you don't listen to that, you definitely should. Spencer does a great job over there. Um, and, and brings me on from, from time to time. It's basically the exact same point I made on there uh, about 24 hours ago. And, and, and that episode will air on Friday, actually. Um, in that, Angie, you and I sat here this summer and talked about, man, Oregon State to the Mountain West, Oregon State to, you know, John Wilner's throwing out Oregon State to the big sky, which we knew would never <laughs> happen. But like, it was a legitimate thought that a that a journalist had and and published and tweeted. And, you know, <laughs> which we're so having shocked these, me. <laughs> I know, we're having these doom and gloom conversations for a couple of months. And, you know, we both sat here and said, the only thing that Oregon state can control is itself. It can't control Corvallis. It can't control the PAC 12. It can't control the big 10 coming in and, and poaching these schools. The only thing the Beavers can do 
It's on the field. You have to win games. Get yourself into the national limelight. And the Beavers have done nothing short of that. Now ranking in the top 15, winning nine games, going and playing an SEC opponent on ESPN in a bowl game. With Kirk um, Herbstreet and Pat McAfee calling the game. So Yeah, exactly. Oregon State putting itself in the national limelight there. But then also at a university and athletic department level, financially committing to your coaches rebuilding the stadium you know all of these things that indicate that you're committed to winning and and committed to playing at the highest level these are all of the things that Oregon State had to do on its end to ensure that it's positioning itself uh, in the best way possible in this new era of college football and the new era of the Pac-12 and you know whatever this conference turns out to be Um, I I sit here now six months after the announcement that USC and UCLA are going to leave the Pac-12 and I say Oregon State is in a far better position than it was uh, back on June 30th. Absolutely. I, I see um, Harold Killeen over in comments just wants to know where the new president stands toward athletics. Uh, we have not talked, spoken with her. Um, I have spoken to a few professors um, that have, you know, heard her speak and all I can go off of is what I've seen on social media. And she's always, you know, talking about backing the football team is talking about the football team going to the games. Um, I mean, she has to be happy with what she is seeing. From, uh, from that standpoint, as far as crazy crowds, a lot of engagement, um, full stadium, full half a stadium. That has to make a president happy. Couldn't agree more. I, I think that the the coaching contracts, again, are just kind of the uh, another feather in the cap of the Oregon State Athletic Department right now. And um, I, I know Jonathan Smith is, is excited for the future, and, and we certainly are as well, to see what he can do now that he's locked up for what, like six more years now. Um, yeah, that is a six year, $30.6 million deal. Again, almost rivals what Angie and I make at Beaver Blitz. Um, <laughs> almost. He, will, he will get there one day. He will get there one day. And, you know, maybe he won't have to, uh, to run the clock at boys and girls clubs, basketball games. Uh, <laughs> if, if he eventually reaches our, our level of fame. Was, okay. Now, status. okay. That's totally going off our script here, but that tweet, um, it was Stan highway 20 Beaver, tweeted it. And I had to retweet it. It's got more likes than any tweet I've ever had. Um, But Jonathan Smith, and I've seen him at the, so his oldest son is the same age as my son and they've played against each other, baseball games and things over the years, baseball tournaments. But he was at the boys and girls club running the clock for his daughter's basketball game. Totally just no beaver gear, just running the clock. And I've done that at basketball games, Carter. I'm sure you have too. It is stressful. Because you have dads yelling at you to stop the clock or put the score up. Yeah, it's it's got to be as stressful as, as some of the things he does on the football field. Yes. Um, but he's not making $4.85 million yes. to run the clock. So, um, again, just, you know, speaks to the humility, the the humble nature of, of Jonathan Smith. And, man, how often do we talk about how that bleeds into the culture of the Oregon State football program? All right. Yeah, let's. No, we'll hit the break after this. I I want to. I want to talk about some of the awards and honors that the Oregon State football program and and some of the individuals within it have received over the last week, and then we'll go to a break after that. This is a very long list that we're just kind of gonna weed through a little bit. I mean, I'm sitting here with almost two pages of awards uh, on my screen. Something that that Angie would have taken us. I don't know, maybe 30 seconds a year or two ago, three years ago to, to run through all of these things. Um, but no, again, a testament to what Oregon State has done on the field, how much this program has built itself to get to a point where you have all of these awards. And let's run through a few so, of them. So just just a perspective, in, tw- in 2018, Coach Smith's very first at full season, Oregon State had two All-Pac-12 honorable mentions. That's it. Mm-hmm. This year, there were 19. 19 in total, including total, a handful yes. of, of honorable mentions there as well. Five first-teamers. Uh, incredible stuff. Well, let's start with the national awards. And uh, the first one is is technically a regional award, but it comes from um, a, a national organization here. Um, as Jonathan Smith is named the AFCA FBS Region 5 Coach of the Year. And, you know, I didn't look up a region map of the AFCA, but I believe that includes everything west of the Rocky Mountains. Yeah, I believe um, so. So, you too. know, you're, you know, you're competing against um, the Mountain West, essentially, and and I think potentially part of the Big 12 
Um, I'm again, I'm not entirely sure on the map of that, but Jonathan Smith, the region five coach of the year. Um, and that is an award you'll see pop up in just a minute when we talk about the all conference awards. Uh, but the other national award winner, of course, is Jack Coletto, the Jack Hammer winning the Paul Hornering Award, which was made for Jack Coletto. I mean, if, if Coletto didn't win this year, I think we'd be talking about um, the uh, the integrity of the Hornung Award. Um, felt like a Beaver fans for, maybe, Jack, for Jack Coletto. Yeah, Beach, Beaver fans may have taken out pitchforks and stormed the, the Horning office, but um, huge award for him. Um, it's it's an award too that it, it's an award too that you know you look at at some of the past winners Christian McCaffrey Saquon Barkley I mean these are two of the best NFL football players out there right now um, and and Jack Collette was on a list with those guys and I think frankly was more deserving of the award than those guys even you know I think he's a more versatile player than a Saquon Barkley or a Christian McCaffrey because you got to remember those guys didn't play defense yeah amazing what, what the jackhammer has done yeah uh jack coletta was actually also a semi-finalist for the campbell trophy which is um it, it's actually kind of considered the academic heisman so um something that i don't think really got talked about at all um and i i don't even remember getting any releases about this but jack coletta was a semi-finalist for that award um trent bray defensive coordinator was a nominee for the broils award um, and that kind of, you know, that, that starts a list of, of all of these nominations and watch lists um, that runs a page long. Oregon State yeah. had nominees and, and watch list award or, um, you know, watch list guys for the Broyles Award, the Burlesworth Trophy, the, the AFCA Good Works Team, the Werfel Trophy, the Outland Trophy, the Doak Walker, Polynesian College Football Player of the Year, Remington, Ray Guy, Earl Campbell, Mackey, Nagurski, Bednarik, and Comeback Player of the Year Awards. So, I mean, that is a lengthy it's list. It's like every every award. <laughs> yeah. And and I know some of those like ask each school to send a, a representative to be on the watch list, but not all of them. Um, so again, we're, we're not going to go through the whole list there, but um, if, if you know what some of those awards stand for, you can imagine who is, was nominated. Um, we just have, <laughs> we have to conserve time here because there are so many to run through. And so let's move on to the All-Americans, Angie. And, and there are a couple of them here. Um, Oregon State with All-Americans, from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different outlets here. Um, well, and I think and the, the big winner is Anthony Gould. Yeah. For his yeah, Anthony um, Gould, returning. Essentially a consensus first yeah. team All-American um, as, as a punt returner slash kick returner. And it starts with Pro Football Focus naming him a first teamer. Uh, Sporting News, CBS Sports, 24-7 Sports, ESPN. Um, that is a, a lengthy list right there for him. Uh, Taliesa Fuaga is also an honorable, honorable mention All-American from Pro Football Focus on the offensive line. Um, and then for, for the freshman awards, Damian Martinez, the running back. Uh, freshman All-American first teamer from The Athletic. A third teamer, according to College Football News. And, and Jack Velling at tight end was actually also an honorable mention All-American uh, per College Football News. And then Damian Martinez... Also a true freshman All-American, according to 24-7 Sports. Pretty impressive stuff. 24-7 Sports people know their stuff. What can we say? <laughs> um, and then the comp, I, you know, I, I think those are all awesome. and But I think the ones that really, I think I piqued my interest a little more is the Pac-12 awards. Because those yeah. are voted on by the coaches. Um, and it was it was great to see 19 players recognized. 19 players and one coach, mind one you. One coach, yes. Because Jonathan Smith was named the co-coach of the year by the Pac-12 coaches. Um, he gets that uh, that award alongside Washington's Kalen DeBoer. And I think, I, I you know, I, I don't have any problem with this. I think I would have been perfectly fine with either one of those guys being handed the award. For Kalen DeBoer to go up to Washington in his first year and win 10 games after where that program yeah. was uh, over the last couple of years is nothing short of impressive. But Jonathan Smith, also very deserving of that award, getting Oregon state to potentially one of its three best seasons of all time as a coach after doing that as a player about 20 years ago. Yeah. And I heard him on John Canzano's show, coach Smith, and he laughed because he said, I might've won the thing if I hadn't voted for DeBoer. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I imagine you cannot vote for yourself. I bet you can. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. know, but let's go uh, first team. Yeah. Um, all purpose, Jack Coletto. Uh, returning return specialist Anthony Gould, running back Damian Martinez, 
linebacker Omar Spates, and DB Rajon Wright, all with first-team honors. Anybody there that you uh, were surprised with? No surprises in my book, except um, Damian Martinez getting a first-team nod. You know, the Pac-12 does select two first-team and two second-team running backs. Um, so it's not like Damian Martinez eclipsed uh, Zach Charbonnet on that list. He was just named alongside him on the first team. Um, but obviously in a year where there are so many talented running backs to see a true freshman get on that first team list over a guy like Xavier Valade um, at Arizona state and, and alongside Zach Charbonnet at UCLA, Jaden Ott. Jaden Ott at California, a couple of those guys at Oregon as well. Um, a, a very long list of, of deserving players. And you see the respect go to, to Damian Martinez there. Uh, moving to the second team, Oregon State had another kick returner on the list as Silas Bolden gets the nod on the second team return specialist. And then you see Taliesa Fuaga, uh, defensive back Jaden Grant, and offensive lineman Joshua Gray with the second team award. And then a ton of honorable mentions. We'll run through them real quick. Defensive back Alex Austin. Uh, Ryan Cooper Jr., Kyrie Fisher-Morris, Treshawn Harrison, Brandon Kipper, Jake Levengood, Luke Losher, Sione Lolohea, Katano Ladapo, James Rawls, Simon Sandberg, Riley Sharp, and Corey Stover round out a list of more than I counted before we started this, but I believe 10 honorable mentions for Oregon State. And how about um, four offensive linemen? Yeah. Pretty impressive. And you probably would have had a fifth if Marco Brewer had stayed healthy it, it, and exactly. didn't miss the second half of the season. Um, but impressive there, uh, the the list voted on by the coaches. It's it's the lengthiest list, again, in Oregon State football history. Uh, the Associated Press also releases a all-conference team. Only one first-teamer there, a little surprising. Katano Ladapo, uh, out of the defensive backfield, is the lone first-teamer, according to the Associated Press. The second team includes Jack Coletto, Taliesa Fuaga, Jaden Grant, Damian Martinez, Omar Spates, and Rajon Wright. I know it's what's interesting is, and I'm all for Catan. I, I believe he's totally deserving, but he was an honorable mention from the Pac-12 coaches. But then the Associated Press puts him first team. He was also a first teamer, according to Pro Football Focus, who included Fuaga, Gould, Grant, and Oladapo on their first team All Pac-12 list. The second team included Silas Bolden at kick returner, Joshua Gray on the offensive line, and then Omar Spates at linebacker, and then the third team: Jake Levengood, Damian Martinez, and James Rawls. And that is a long list of performance awards. But that's awesome. I mean, like I said, like we talked about, look at where this team was in 2018. And look at them now. Yeah. Anthony Gould um, joining a, a pretty elite group of All-Americans at Oregon State. The last one, I believe, being Hamaka Rashid back mm-hmm. in 2019 after he, um, you know, just had that absurd year getting into the backfield and, and sacking the quarterback at, at a rate that we hadn't seen at Oregon State. Um, but there have not been many All-Americans at Oregon State since really the Mike Riley era. And, and yeah. Anthony Gould gets there as the nation's most effective punt returner. Anything else you want to add on the honors before we move on to some recruiting, personnel, transfer portal stuff? Because Angie has all sorts of great tidbits there. But I want to give you an opportunity to highlight anything else that we might have missed before we move on and, and take a quick break. No, I just, I think it's exciting um, where Oregon State is. And, and I want to congratulate all those, those young men for those big honors. It's, it's huge. Then with that, we will take a break. But first I have to tell everybody about this deal that we have at beaverblitz.com. It's a 50% off annual membership and it includes a complimentary Paramount Plus subscription. This deal is active across the 24-7 Sports Network, and it's a great one. Angie, I'm, I'm sure you use Paramount+. Plus. I know I do. Um, any movies that are you know, from the Paramount Network, um, most of the things that, that air on the Paramount Network on TV end up there. Yellowstone is not, but if you want to watch any of the prequels, which I love, those are on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, and then Top Gun Maverick coming very Maverick's soon. Maverick's coming. Maverick's coming. So, yes, it's that one's coming, what, I think next week is what I'm very hearing. Soon. So. Um, yeah, Paramount Plus is a fun one. I'm, I've just started, or I'm starting tonight, the new um, Sylvester Stallone show. Mm. I forget the Tulsa name of King? it. Tulsa King, yes. I've heard it's good. Um, my kids wanted to see it, or my oldest son said that looked interesting. So um, we're on it tonight with my Paramount Plus membership. And again, that is available with this 50% off an annual membership 
to Beaver Blitz. Not only do you get that Paramount Plus subscription, but you get access to everything Angie and I publish and access to the Lodge at Beaver Blitz, which is the largest message board regarding Oregon State Athletics. And, and I will say this right now. I, I see some questions coming up about asking about specifics on transfer portal and certain players. I'm not going into detail on the pod. I'm sorry. You got to get to the lodge if you want to know all the, the down and dirty and what's going on behind the scenes, because that's where it gets discussed. Um, we'll give a, a good, maybe a 500 foot level view from the pot in the podcast and everything we do, but all the good stuff gets put in the lodge. So that's where you want to be 50% off. It's, I think it's over a $200 value that you get for $53 and 70 cents. I think is what the math works out with between your Paramount membership and your Beaver Blitz membership. Do it. And we will take that 500 foot level view of Oregon State's transfer portal efforts right now. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay. All right, the NFL draft entrance. We're going to start with yes. this before we move into some of the uh, some of the other you know transfer portal recruiting side, um, because every year you know you have a couple of guys who you expect to leave, and they open up some scholarships that maybe you weren't expecting to have. Uh, Rajon Wright and Luke Musgrave both have announced their intentions to enter their names in the NFL draft pool. I think we saw both of these coming. Um, you know, Luke Musgrave that technically did have some eligibility left, but um, after he missed the final 10 games of the regular season, um, we kind of assumed that he would move on to the draft and he made that official about a week ago. There are presumably more to come. Um, Again, a lot of guys who are out of eligibility um, who we know won't be on the roster anyway. Some of those guys will declare after the bowl game. Um, Still possible that, you know, some juniors, retro sophomores, guys who have been within the program for three or more years, uh, still possible that they will, declare as well but angie you and i kind of behind the scenes have been talking about maybe some guys were expecting to come back that you know might get uh might get a, a shot in the nfl some guys who who might come back to um uh to, to add to their resumes a little bit and one of those is joshua gray who announced last week that he will return 100 to oregon state in 2023 as a redshirt junior and i think that is huge news for the oregon state offensive line well, and then earlier in the lodge, it was announced that James Rawls was coming back as well. Um, his mm. his uncle announced that in the lodge, um, which between those two, between Joshua Gray on the O-line and James Rawls on the D-line, that has to make any Beaver fan and the coaches so excited because um, Joshua Gray is it just seems to get better um, each season. Um, this will be his fourth year. 2023 will be his fourth year. Um, he was a gray shirt. Um, and it, it's funny because I went back to look at something and when he, when he was recruited, he was a 240 pound lineman. So they had him wait and enroll the next January. Um, but what he has done is remarkable. And then James Rawls talk about a guy I felt just gets better and better every single week this season. Um, I'm excited. I feel he's just, just barely touching the tip of the iceberg of what he can do. Yeah. These are two key returnees in the trenches next year. Oregon State, I, I think 
frankly dominated in the trenches okay. this year. And, and the more of those guys you can bring back in 23, the better, uh, particularly on the offensive line, because you're going to lose Brandon Kepper, who is out of eligibility. Um, but the fact that Oregon State is, is likely going to return four of its five starters there, I think is absolutely huge. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, we're still waiting. Katana Ladapo has eligibility. Alex Austin, um, Omar Spates. There's a whole slew of guys that um, have not made their, their decision. I, I get a gut feeling Katan may be looking to leave because um, it sounds like he's getting some good feedback from NFL, but um, we don't know. He, he has not tipped his hand one way or the other. So um, all those guys will be waiting to see um, after the bowl game in those weeks after kind of around between Christmas and New Year's what their decision is. Um, yeah. Omar Spates is another one that comes to mind who, yeah, who could yeah. leave if he wanted, but I think has something to gain from coming back. And, um, you know, the fact that he hasn't announced anything yet, wait and see on that one. Wait and see. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a slew of them. So, um, no shortage of interesting topics over the next month or so. Um, and then we talk about transfer portal. Oregon State really hasn't lost many. So walk on QB, uh, Jake Blair entered. That was more recent, I believe. That was in August. August. Okay. Um, I, I never saw him on the sideline and he wasn't there for more than a year. So um, Ron Harge, DB out of Florida, entered the portal midseason. And then yep. the most recent was a week or two ago with Chance Nolan, which was not unexpected. Yeah, Ron Harge III played in three games uh, this season, logged about five tackles, and then uh, decided to enter the portal. The key there being he played in three games, so he was able to maintain that redshirt year, and then he can go and, and gain an extra year of eligibility elsewhere. Wishing for the best for for Ron Harge, who who entered the portal, I believe that was back in October. And then Chance Nolan, of course, the, the big one there. Oregon State only has three guys in the portal, and really only one of them was a starter, and that's Chance Nolan. Um, anytime uh, a guy who started a lot of games for you at quarterback enters the portal, it's going to be noteworthy. Curious to see where he ends up and, and curious to see how Oregon State uh, attacks the quarterback position with him off the roster now. Of course, he yeah. joins Tristan Jebbia, who is out of eligibility. Now Oregon State, before Aiden Childs gets here in January, only has two scholarship guys at the quarterback position and are both freshmen by eligibility. Yeah, it's the so moving on to the portal discussion. Um, Oregon State has added no one from the portal, um, but that definitely, you know, if you look at targets, a quarterback, a portal quarterback is like top priority right now yeah. for, for the Beavers. Yeah. And I'm curious, to, again, to see where they go with this, because you've seen like something crazy, like 60 to 70, you yeah. know, quarterbacks ent enter the portal already. Um, as we record this on December 13th, there's still a month left in this first transfer portal window. Um, but that Monday of, of the first, you know, the first day of the transfer portal, when it opened and there were hundreds of players across multiple positions and, and conferences and, and levels entering the portal, we were like, okay, like catch the breath, see who's out there. And then we can determine who Oregon state's going to go after. And there are a couple of guys on that list that I think you and I both expect them to pursue pretty hard. Again, we're not going to go into great detail here on the podcast. Um, you can get most of that information in the lodge at Beaver blitz. I have um, their two, the two top guys in the lodge um, and some backstory there too. So if you want to know the two top guys that Oregon state is going after in the portal, it's in the lodge. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely head over there. But what we can say here is that Oregon State is really targeting this quarterback position, as I, I think you and I both agree and, and pretty much everybody in the fan base recognizes that Oregon State has to go out and find somebody that can come in and provide better play at the quarterback position right away. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think I look at that position and I say, you know, maybe you go after a, a grad transfer or somebody who has two years of eligibility kind of serves as a bridge to the Aiden Childs era. Um, maybe somebody who can who can develop him a little bit um, as a teammate, because I think you and I both agree Aiden Childs has the potential, at least to be Oregon State's quarterback of the future. Um, but getting there is is a process because I don't think we expect him to come in as a 17, 18 year old and, and win the starting job right away. Um, and I don't think either of us, frankly, expect Ben Goldbranson to take Oregon State's offense to the next level next year. So, you know, we agree that that help is is needed pretty direly at, at yeah, the quarterback. And I, and I think right Oregon now. State needs to look for a guy that actually has played in college. You know, you can you can see all the washout guys that were major four or five star guys that never um, did much of anything stat wise in, in college. So um, you don't want to just go with some guy that's a sophomore or has never played 
a snap or has played limited snaps, you need a guy that's actually got some minutes under his belt in the college game, knows the speed of the game, and is ready to come in, take the starting spot right off the bat. And um, like like you said, it, it, it then it allows Aiden Childs to get get his legs under him because I think you and I would agree that he has so much potential and his talent is so raw. But you also don't want to um, you know force that on on him if he's not quite ready. Yeah. Uh, moving away from the quarterback position, there is one, at least one player who Oregon State has officially offered, and that's offensive lineman Grant Stark, uh, who entered the transfer portal from the University of Nevada. He's an Oregon native, um, but he has racked up all sorts of power five offers over the last week and, and a lot of them in the Pac-12. <laughs> Curious to see where he ends up. But Angie, is there anything you can provide on Grant Stark and, and maybe anybody else that Oregon State has officially offered in the portal? Yeah, and there's a Wyoming guy and I couldn't find where it's at but grant stark is definitely kind of the, one of their top um non-quarterback guys they're after in fact i heard and i have not been able to confirm this with grant but i heard he was on campus this past weekend um checking things out you know that the biggest thing i think with him is that he's played tackle at nevada and oregon state really needs more help interior so um not that he can't make the move um, but that's going to be, you know, where he would need to be um, is kind of taking that Kipper spot or um, and if he if he's willing to to make that move. But um, that would be my biggest question mark with him. But um, definitely a, a very talented player, all Mountain West um, starter for for the Wolfpack. So um, definitely one to watch. Like I said, there's a, a Wyoming player that has an offer. Um, and then there's been a few. Uh, there's a lot of guys they're looking at some cornerbacks. Um, a couple, you know, DBs, um, I think one guy, um, over on the ACC they're looking at. So they're not, they're not leaving stones left unturned in the, in the transfer portal. And they're looking across multiple positions as well. You know, we, we fixate, I think a lot on the quarterback position because it is the most glaring need and it's the most important position on the field, arguably for Oregon state, but you know, year in and year out, we see Oregon State take transfers at, at other positions. And, and, and sometimes we're a little surprised, frankly, at, at the positions they choose to bolster. Um, but looking at the positions I think Oregon State needs to target, and Angie, I'll get your opinion on this as well. I, I think Oregon State needs the quarterback. I think they need to go out and, and find a defensive lineman or two slash edge rusher, um, you know, somebody who can help bolster that pass rush because it was still pretty inefficient uh, this year, even in that more aggressive scheme that we saw um, under Trent, but sorry, my phone's ringing here. Got a little distracted. Um, the, uh, the the pass rush that we expected to be a little bit more aggressive. We didn't see that come to fruition. I think Oregon state needs help there. Um, and then I also think they need help at receiver because you're losing uh, Treshawn Harrison, you know, who's out of eligibility. You're losing Tyjon Lindsay. Um, these are guys who have been staples in your receiving core and, frankly, Oregon State's still undersized at that position. The Beavers have all the speed in the world at receiver, but they don't have anybody uh, that's a little bit more of a bigger body who's ready to step up. And I think they could benefit from finding somebody there. Oh, completely. Um, I, I will say that the edge rushers, and we'll talk about this down the way a little bit, but I expect them to go the JUCO route for that. Um, there's a couple names that uh, I guess I can we can talk now. Uh, Nico Taylor is one I'm watching out of Hutchinson, JC in Kansas. And Nana and Yanwu, um, another Kansas junior college player I'm watching. He was just at UTSA this weekend. Um, they brought in Mason White out of Mount Sac um, this weekend, who is really talented, took his Oregon State visit this weekend, and then um, jumped on a flight to Fort Worth to visit TCU. And um, everything I'm hearing now is TCU maybe, maybe locking him up, which, I mean, fourth in the country, playing in the playoffs, it might be hard to compete with that. But um, they are, they're looking at the JUCO ranks for some of these guys. So instead of portal, you go JUCO. I completely 100% agree with a wide receiver, um, a bigger bodied wide receiver. The one thing I, that we see Oregon State do year in and year out with the whole portal is to hold a, a scholarship or two back. To, because if a jelly donut opens up somewhere in the line in the transfer portal, they want to have the, a, a scholarship to offer them. Yeah, and, and we've seen that really ever since they started using the transfer portal at, at a high rate um, back in 18 and, and 19 when it was first kind of opening up. Um, another position that I think you'll see Oregon State look at, 
like we just talked about with them offering Grant Stark as the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we always talk about the offensive line as being a huge strength for Oregon State personnel, not really usually an issue there. Um, yet, regardless, Jim Mahalachuk, Jonathan Smith, always looking for offensive line help and, and usually from a depth and um, and, and development perspective, they'll go and find, you know, more of the, the quote unquote project types who can come in and develop for a year or two. Um, so I think you'll continue to see that but kind they of also on like an the annual portal. basis. You know, they, they took Kipper, uh, was a right. portal guy. Um, Marco Brewer came from the Juco ranks. So um, yeah, they, they do that as well. Um, yeah. I also, I, I also wouldn't be shocked if Oregon state it, you know, if, if the opportunity arose and if there was a good fit there, I, I think you would see them potentially take another defensive back because mm-hmm. it's an older group. It's going to be moving on. You're going to see guys uh, like Jaden Grant and Rajon Wright move on this year. A couple of more veterans will leave next year. So I think if you want to get ahead of that, you start looking at talent right away and then linebacker, uh, particularly on the outside, um, but even on the inside, you know, I think Oregon I actually State think if, benefit if Oregon State, if Oregon State is going to take a linebacker, it's going to be middle linebacker. Yeah. That's, and I'll leave it at that. But there, there are a couple names out there that have intrigued me that I'm watching closely. That is the transfer portal as it relates to Oregon State. Uh, another key point of, of recruiting that I think sometimes we can forget now that the transfer portal is so huge and we're in this window. Oh yeah. We have early signing day in what a week. Um, this is a, 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 it's a huge one for Oregon state. There's no way around it. 18 commits as it currently stands uh, in the, in the 24 seven sports rankings, Oregon state is ranked 44th nationally and sixth in the PAC 12, making it Jonathan Smith's best class and Oregon State's highest ranked class since 2012, which was also 44th nationally and highlighted by Isaac Sayamalu, who was one of the top commits in the country. Um, obviously, these rankings will continue to change and, and fluctuate as guys commit, decommit um, from Oregon State and other schools around the country over the next week um, and into you know the, the quote-unquote original signing day uh, later in the winter. But Angie, I, I look at this list and I, I looked at it before we hopped on here as I kind of refreshed myself. It's pretty remarkable. The, just the progress Oregon State has made recruiting high schoolers. We're now seeing an average player rating of 86.36. Again, one of the highest marks we've seen from Oregon State in a decade. Two four stars, 16 three stars. Those being the first four star recruits in the 24-7 sports composite rating of the Jonathan Smith era in Charles and Kelsey Howard. Yeah. And I, and I really want to highlight that average player ranking of 86 because we've talked about for years that, you know, Oregon state is not the team that is going to be like Oregon and getting, you know, five, five stars and the rest four stars. Oregon state needs to get those hot mid to high ranked three star guys that they can develop and who want to be on campus and who want to be, um, and, and get better and be coached up. And that's what they're doing. They've gotten, you know, better and better. But those two guys, I mean, just today, Aiden Childs was ranked, um, re-ranked 11th best quarterback in the country. Uh, Kelsey Howard um, got bumped up a little bit he's, as well. Yeah, he's um, now the, the 24th best defensive lineman in the country. So these are guys that, so those two, I mean, Kelsey Howard could, you know, come in and play immediately, potentially, yeah. depending on how big he is. Um, but you know, he joined some of the guys from last year's class. Um, Malachi Donaldson comes to mind and, um, you know, some of those defensive players that, um, have redshirted Quincy Wright is another D lineman that that Melvin Jordan, Melvin Jordan. Um, so there's, they're taking those steps, the incremental steps they're building. Um, but I do think that 86 average player rating, because that is a a mid-level mid to high level three-star right there. So, Mm -hmm. um, that means which that used guys, to be the ceiling for Oregon. Well, it used to be the ceiling. You're absolutely right, Carter. And and that what that means is that these guys have more than just um, you know Mountain West or Big right. Sky offers. These guys are are yeah. guys at other Pac-12 schools. Now, the other thing that to keep in mind is this early bowl game has really crimped Oregon State's closing out of this class because this would be the week that the coaches would be on the road finishing up their in-home visits. They had to cram all of those home visits last week um, to get into homes. That meant flying to Florida. It meant flying to Kansas. They were all over the country. Typically then they'd be going back this week to, and I don't want to say babysit, but to keep poachers out. You know, you want guys, you want your coaches rotating in and staying in in front of those guys so they don't get swayed. 
Oregon State can't because they're in Vegas preparing for their bowl game. The other thing that this early bowl game has done is this coming weekend, the, the weekend that we play the bowl game is the last um, open weekend for visits before signing day and until January 3rd. We go into dead period right after this weekend. So no visits on any college campus can occur, um, which makes you know, some of these portal guys, it makes them tough because you might have to wait till after Christmas to get them on campus to check things out. So it's not ideal. That's one of the non-ideal things, but I, th I do think um, in reaching out. So the past couple of days have been super busy from my end, reaching out to the commits, reaching out to coaches um, to find out, kind of get more insight on these, these young men that are joining Oregon state. And um, I can say you guys are going to be really excited when you get to know these guys. There is one commit that we are kind of projecting to flip and, and that is tight end prospect Dorian Thomas out of Washington. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's in the Seattle area. Um, but we have, we've seen him kind of narrow his decision to Arizona and Oregon state. And that's after he committed to Oregon state. Um, so I think, you know, a, a looser commitment to a, to a non-committal there from Dorian Thomas, but um, the flips and, and the decommits have been few and far between uh, at Oregon state. And, and, you know, even without Dorian Thomas, this is still an impressive class nonetheless. Yeah. So heading into this last week, so we are, I mean, just eight days away from signing day. Um, and it has become the big signing day because yeah. now in February that typically Oregon state will have most of its scholarship class filled. So that February signing day will be walk-ons. That is where they, they don't sign walk-ons, but they can announce walk-on additions. So, um, this is the big, big recruiting um, signing day for us, for Oregon State. Um, yes, I do believe Dorian Thomas will be flipping to Arizona. Um, you never want to see guys flip, but at the same time, I love what I see from Cooper Jensen. Oregon State did have two tight ends in this class, um, and Cooper Jensen has been 100% solid all along. So, um, you know, I, I spoke to a, a Beaver fan the other day about this, and he's kind of bummed about it. And I said, well, I get it. But you actually do, you want guys that want to be in your program too. You don't want to have them second guessing. So if he doesn't want to be at Oregon State, then, and, and you never know what will happen now with the portal. Maybe he changes his mind later. Um, I do still see at least one, maybe up to three commitments in the next um, week. So uh, stay tuned on that. Angie just answered like half of the damn questions that came into the lodge <laughs> today. Um, but we're going to use that as a transition into that segment as we only have a few minutes left anyways. But um, if, if you answer, if you ask any question about, you know, the volume of guys who are going to be committing slash signing um, oh. some of the targets, Angie just answered like half of those questions right there. I am going to bring up one because this was in the lodge, but this is okay to talk about here on the podcast. Leonard Ayu, which is the yeah. um, commitment out of Kahuku in Hawaii, uh, just committed was Friday. I think it was Friday, Friday. It was Friday. Cause I was in Corvallis when that broke. Um, he is actually a mission. He'll be taking his two year mission before arriving in Corvallis. Um, so he technically won't be signing anything binding. It's a ceremonial signing for him. So he does not count um, in the, in the scholarship numbers, but I just want to let you guys know that. Wealth of knowledge right there from Angie Machado. All right. Let's move to the damn questions that we haven't answered here, and we only have a couple of minutes to okay. do so. Okay. Uh, but this is, a, again, a reminder, if you're not a member at beaverblitz.com, head to the lodge. We like to post our damn questions thread the day that we record the podcast, and it's the best way to get your question answered here on the podcast. We default to the lodge before we go to Twitter, um, and we start here with a, a question about NIL collectives and, you know, obviously NIL being a, a big part of recruiting the transfer portal. Uh, Matt Chiafoni asks a, a kind of a bigger picture question about this, the current setup of, of the portal and NIL system being sustainable as it's currently constructed. Um, I feel like that is more of a, a macro level question, but I do want to talk NIL here with a question from Shaka from 503 who asks, do we even know or have a clue how much NIL money our collectives have now? And I think that's an important question to answer. And and shout out to Shaka from 503 for, for that being their first post in the lodge. Um, what Oregon State's NIL collectives have been able to do as we enter this first transfer portal window? Uh, Angie, what are what do you know? And, and what are your thoughts on how those collectives have, I guess, quote unquote, performed thus far? Yeah, you know what? I wish I had a number for you guys. I don't. Um, I've heard some rumors that um, 
there's the two that I know of giant killer collective, um, which is basically funding baseball and football um, student athletes to keep them on campus and, you know, get them in, into some partnerships that way. And then the damnation, which is a newer one just kind of came out that they're advertising everywhere. Um, I've heard they're doing very well. The, the thing with Oregon state is I, I do know that they are planning to use that money to pay or not to pay. They can't pay, but they're using collectives to help retain players that are on the roster yep. instead of going out to, and, and this is true for both of them. Um, they're not looking so much as to go out to buy players. Um, it just, which it I think create, is important. Because, I think it's so important because it can create huge locker room divisions. Right. When you have right. a true freshman who's never set foot on campus coming in saying, why, you know, I signed a X, Y, Z deal. And then you have some guy that's been working his tail off for years saying, you know, yeah. You know, uh, Brian Miller oh, in the oh, YouTube hello. chat. Hello. <laughs> uh, Shocker from 503 question. is Brian Miller in the YouTube chat. Brian, welcome to Beaver Blitz. And thank you for uh, contributing your first first post in the lodge. It's a great question. So I, I wish I had like concrete numbers and I, I have a feeling we won't get concrete numbers, um, like really legit numbers, but um, Oregon State is catching up quickly. You know, I, I've been pretty critical that they've been behind. Um, they're catching up and uh, guys are getting taken care of. Um, and, and getting more important than just quote, getting taken care of is, is the fact that when I say that it's not just bags of cash being left on their doorstep, it is getting them in, in introductions and getting them with businesses that they can either represent or that potentially could be a job for them. Um, so it's that whole package. It's not just bags of cash, which Deion Sanders had seriously the funniest quote the other day that he doesn't chase the bags, the bags chase him. <laughs> That's going to be the next soundbite is Neon Dion in the Pac-12. Dion, I'm just so excited to see what he brings to Colorado. <laughs> um, since we are running low on time, we've got to move on to the next question here. And it's the the most, it, it's the highest upvoted question that we received in the lodge this week. So we have to touch on Mr. G. Gray's question. Is Thomas Seo a good fit for Trent Bray's defense or should he transition back to the offensive line? Seo, of course, being... Um, one of the biggest players on Oregon state's roster by size and who started on the offensive line transition to defensive line. And I think got a lot of Oregon state fans and, and even us a little bit as, as well excited about what he can provide at that position of need. Angie, your thoughts on CEO's fit on the defensive side. You know, that's a great question because I feel horrible saying this, but I kind of have forgotten about him this season, yeah. Thomas CEO. Um, yeah. He is the strongest guy in the team. I've been told he can lift the most weight. He's the strongest um, you know, I think, I think the answer to this question depends on how well a guy like Quincy Wright comes along, um, how well, um, a new guy like Thomas Collins out of Sweden comes in, um, at that defensive tackle position. But, um, I wouldn't be opposed to moving him back over if he, if he has the, if he has quick enough feet and, and the right technique, um, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him back on the, uh, on the O-line. We just hit the one hour mark, so we do have to get out of here, but we'll leave with one more question because multiple people in the lodge asked about the wide receiver position. Uh, we start with LS Thomas. Again, first post, welcome to the lodge. Welcome. Uh, do you think our young wide receivers who have a little more size are ready to step up? Points to uh, Jimmy Volson III, Micaiah Tung, Jeremiah Noga, John Dunmore. And then I guess the second part of the question there coming from um, Canapan what are the chances we get Isaiah Hodgins 2.0 so I don't have to constantly read about how we don't have any receivers worth a crap? <laughs> uh, a two-parter for you there, Angie, because I think it, it goes hand in hand. The personnel that Oregon State already has versus the personnel Oregon State might need to go get from the portal or from recruiting the, the high school ranks over the next year or two. Yeah, they have four receivers committed right now. Um, so that's, um, and they're in that in the six feet to six two range. Okay, this is my thing. Ben Goldbranson, Chance Nolan, what they all got the brunt of the problems with the offense. While they are not world beaters and elite, like crazy, you know, Caleb Williams, elite quarterbacks, all the blame on the offensive struggles cannot be placed just on the quarterback position. Completely and I will, agree. It, it goes back to quarterback as well, uh, or uh, wide receiver. Um, there, and, and Carter, you and I talked about this fall camp 
that one of our biggest concerns, it wasn't even quarterback. It was just the inconsistency at wide receiver. And we saw that all year long, whether that was drops, whether that was uh, routes that were ran incorrectly. Um, so it, it was a two headed monster. I think that really kind of hamstrung Oregon state, not great quarterback play and not great wide receiver play. I would love to see more. I mean, I don't think I've seen enough from a guy like Valson or Dunmore. Um, Makaya Tung, I love what he does in the blocking game. He drops the ball. I think that guy needs to go out and just like spend two hours a day with the jugs machine and, um, you know, just work on that concentration because I think he could be a force. But um, I'm with you. I, I, I think some of these young guys – Receivers is a position that you don't necessarily need to be in the program for a long time either. You can come in and make an impact. But I'll tell you, Noga, the walk-on, Jeremiah Noga out of uh, Grants Pass area, he impressed me this year the few times we saw him. Um, I also want to see a little more, I think, from that uh, tight end game. I think you, a guy like Jack Velling is is a tight end, but he's kind of that Stanford hybrid wide, wide receiver too. So maybe get a few more of those guys in, in the system. Completely agree. That is all the time we have. On this episode of the damn podcast, we apologize if we didn't get around to asking your question, but I think we answered quite a few of them throughout the course of the episode. Um, So I didn't save as much time at the end uh, as we may have needed, but be sure to keep throwing questions at us. We will be back to, to record another episode after the bowl game. Angie and I are heading to the airport in exactly 24 hours from now. Uh, We're heading down to Las Vegas for the next, what, three, four days to cover the, the bowl game. Uh, we will have coverage of press conferences. We'll be at the Fan Fest. We hope to meet many of you there. And of course, we'll have all sorts of coverage at the game itself at Allegiant Stadium. Angie, looking forward to a great couple of days in Las Vegas. And let's touch base on the damn podcast on Sunday or Monday. How does that sound? Sounds perfect. Until then, you can follow her at Angie Machado one on Twitter. You can follow me at Carter Baines, and we will talk to you after the bowl game to recap it here on another episode of the damn podcast. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.